0: Good evening, everyone. We're going to go ahead and get started. We're in the book of Romans. We are sneaking up on chapter one. <laughs> He's elusive, but we <laughs> we're getting close. Actually, we're going to get into it. I'm not even going i am going to stop the introduction. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull the plug on the introduction. Uh, hopefully, we've said enough. Another three or four pages, another couple of weeks. That wouldn't be good. So, we're going to stop it right here, and we're going to jump to it couple opening thoughts about the chapter. In this opening chapter, we're going to talk about the gospel. The the opening of the book establishes the origin of the gospel, the source of the gospel, the scriptural support of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, and the blessing of the gospel. In chapter 1, we are going to talk a lot about the gospel. It's introduced that way. It's really. Um, Three sections to the chapter, at least that's the way I've broken it down. Uh, 1 to 7, 8 to 17, and then 18 to the end of the chapter. Um, that's how we'll proceed. Uh, we'll read 1 to 7, and we'll come back and begin to pick apart the verses. Uh, again, a couple more thoughts, though. I said we're going to end the introduction. It's not entirely true. I'm going to end the length of the introduction, so this is much shorter But just by way of reminder, what Paul is doing is making the case for justification. He is writing this as uh, not necessarily a defense, but it is setting forth God's methodology of justifying humanity, how he declares a person right in his presence— Again, there is a lot of content here that is repeated in other epistles, and you should be aware of that. But this one is not as sharp and pointed as the Galatian letter. They share a lot of information, but the Galatian letter is a lot sharper in its tone. Just by way of example, go over to Galatians, look at chapter 1. You won't read this kind of tone and intensity in Romans. It's much more uh, argued and set forth and explained. In Galatia, they are under threat, and Paul is very urgent about the threat. Same source of information, same ideas, but notice verse number six of Galatians. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not another, only there are some who are, the King James will say, perverting, disturbing you, and want to distort the gospel of Christ— but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we have preached to you, he is to be accursed, separated from Christ, separated from God eternally. As we have said before, so say I again now, if any man is preaching you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Look there in chapter 2 in verse number 4, but it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who has sneaked in despite out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us again into bondage notice chapter 3 and verse 1 oh foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified it's not many epistles where an apostle will call a group of Christians foolish but if you look at 1, 6 to 9, you get the urgency. 2, 4, false brethren trying to bring us into bondage. It would be foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians. In chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that uh, he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. Christ you who are seeking to be justified by the law you are fallen from grace I'm telling you all of that because he is discussing the same matters the book of Romans is not written with that tone that kind of language is not in this book it's much more of a Treaties almost, It's, it's so rich in explanation as to try to help people understand how this process works. Paul will begin with his credentials to write the epistle, to preach the gospel. He'll move then to the content of the gospel, and he is arguing again, presenting this case to Jews, to Judaizers, and to Gentile saints. Let's read the first seven verses, this section. It's this introduction that is going to begin to lay the groundwork for all of the argumentation that will follow. We'll come back. We'll start at verse 1, and we'll go down and try to cover as much of the material as we can. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father. the lord jesus christ we began with the first word in the first verse paul paul as you know was formerly saul of tarsus his credentials he actually sets forth in many passages talks about his past very often he's very free with that material and much of i suppose the religious world certainly within the church and maybe within the judaizing circles would have known who this individual was he was once one of them He is a Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he would say of himself. He's a Pharisee, former Pharisee. He was a keeper of the law, schooled in the traditions. Also a persecutor of Christ and Christians. Formerly a perfect candidate for the gospel. Presently a perfect candidate to write a defense of the gospel. You could read about Saul. He is prominently featured, then Paul, beginning in Acts 13. When you read the book of Acts, if you were to study that book, it really does center a lot around two apostles. It centers around Peter in the first 12 chapters and Paul in 13 to 28. And by and large, what happens in one of their lives happens in the other's lives. There are going to be persecutions, there's going to be long sermons, there's going to be defenses before councils, there's going to be everything that one does, nearly the other does, and part of the reason would be that the apostle to the Jews, Peter, has the gospel, the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, has the gospel, and it is the same gospel Paul, he will be discussed maybe as early as Acts 6. There was a synagogue from Cilicia trying to refute Stephen, and they could not. Stephen gives his sermon in Acts 7, and in Acts 8, they're holding the one holding the coats is Saul of Tarsus. He has been kicking against the pricks and now in acts 9 he meets our Lord he will mention this in other accounts as well Galatians 1 he'll talk about it Philippians 3 he'll talk about it once opposed to Christ and now he refers to himself as Paul a bond servant a slave of Jesus Christ when we talk about conversion This is a very good example of what that looks like. In Acts 26, 9, he said of himself, I thought I should do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which things I did. And from there, he is now a slave of Jesus of Nazareth. It would have resonated with his audience. Would have infuriated the Jews. For those who believed, They would have taken great solace in the fact that he was what they were. 1 Timothy 1, 13 to 17, where he talks about his past as well, in that section of Scripture, he actually says the word, he is an example, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth an example of suffering or uh, of endurance and forgiveness. Forgiving Paul, Paul says, served as an example to others, so he opens the book with himself, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. But that's not all he is. The next phrase he says, "Called an apostle, called an apostle, one who has been called, invited into privileges, or appointed for a specific task." Paul has been invited into the apostleship. He is a servant of Jesus Christ. He is one sent. That's what the word means an apostle, one sent as a messenger or agent, the bearer or a commission or messenger. This is one of the reasons as well that Barnabas could be called an apostle, though not one of these apostles. He and Paul were sent by the church, and so he's called an apostle. He's one sent, too, but that sense is not what's here. This is that very specific sense of those individuals where from which Judas fell and Matthias was added, Acts chapter 1. This is a delegate, specifically an ambassador of the gospel, officially a commissioner of Christ, those 12 men chosen by jesus judas fell another took his place paul was one of a select chosen group of individuals with a specific charge or office some of the things related to the apostles they were selected by jesus luke chapter 6 verses 12 to 16. they were baptized in the spirit acts chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 as well as verse 8. the spirit was promised to them, at John chapters 14 and 15 and 16. In order to be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. That was one of the qualifications, Acts 1, to 26. By the time Saul of Tarsus is wreaking havoc on the church, our Lord has already ascended into heaven. In order for him to be a witness, which is why our Lord had to appear to him. Revelation, inspiration, confirmation. These are the works of the apostles, Acts 2, 1-4, Acts 2, 33. They were ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador is one who can bind and loose on behalf of someone else. They had that authority. That's what Jesus promised. They would have that authority. No one else would. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, Paul says, we pray you, in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors, and we're pleading with you to be reconciled. In fact, he says it, in the place of Christ, we're making that plea. They were the vessels of Revelation, 2 Corinthians 4one 7. Paul said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels— they would often refer to the work as ministry. This ministry. Notice Acts chapter six. In Acts chapter six, when the widows uh, are having the challenges of the, the the goods being handed out, and there is this dispute among some of the widows, they come together and they're going to settle this matter. Verse number 2 says, So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us. Who's the us? The twelve. The twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples. And they said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. He's serving tables. Well, the apostles had been sitting effectively at tables, not unlike a bank, sort of, and the people would bring the merchandise and the goods and the money and the dis- distribution would be being made. And what they're doing is they're saying, we can't do that. So look you out among you, seven faithful men, and we will put them here to do that. What are we going to do? Verse number number 3, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. There were other people who could wait the tables. There was nobody else who could do what the apostles were doing. There's only 12 apostles. Paul will be at later, but there's only one group of men who have the abilities and the power that they have. The charge, the office of apostleship rests on them. We can't stop that to do this. We'll get other men to do this, and we're going to continue. Paul is one of them. The binding and the loosing authority, Matthew 16, 18, and 19, Matthew 18 and 18 Twelve thrones judging Matthew 19, 27 to 29. Acts 2, 42 says they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So significant and important was their work that lying to an apostle proved fatal for some. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, Ananias and Sapphira lied to an apostle. What they did was try to undermine God's Office, God's charge those men are God's representatives on earth to lie to them would be successfully to lie to God and it proved fatal Paul is saying he's one of them he is a called apostle by no one less than Jesus Christ his conversion is recorded in Acts 9 22 and 26 Look at Acts chapter 26 and listen to Paul talk about his conversion on this occasion before Agrippa, but he gives details slightly different, Acts 9, Acts 22, here also in Acts 26. Verse number 9, he says, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and this is just what I did in Jerusalem not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them, even the foreign cities." While so engaged as I journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around and those who were journeying with me. And when they had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. Note the next phrase, for this purpose. I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things that you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Paul, an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ, an apostle called into that office by Jesus Christ. He'll mention this in Galatians 1, 11 to 12. He will say, the gospel which I preach, I did not learn it from men. I did not get it from any human agent or any human source. It was given by revelation. It was given to me by God himself, by Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 10, he will talk about the resurrection, and he will talk about the Christ, and he will say within that section, he was seen of 500 brethren at once, he was seen of James, he was seen of Cephas, and last of all, he was seen of me. And while he was last, he was certainly not least, although he often referred to himself in some very humble terms regarding his place and his station. His apostleship is what was often challenged by the Judaizers. A few weeks ago, we talked about 1 Corinthians 9 and how Paul had these liberties and these rights. But what he's defending is his apostleship. And he would say to the brethren, if I'm not an apostle to others, I surely am to you because you in the Lord is the evidence of my apostleship. The fact that you have miraculous gifts— is evidence of my apostleship. And that's one of the very distinctive things about the apostles. They had the ability to pass on the gifts through the laying on of their hands. And while others could do miraculous gifts, others didn't have that ability. So if you look at an example like Acts chapter 8, you will see that Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And he did. And you'll read verses 12 and 13, and many of the Samaritans, hearing, believed, were baptized, along also with Simon, who had formerly bewitched bewitched them. The Bible will tell us that then they sent to Jerusalem for Peter and John, who when they came down, they laid hands on them. While Philip could do the miracles, he couldn't pass the miracles on. That's a uniquely apostolic ability. Saul saw the Rex directed Christ. The Corinthians were in Christ. They were his evidence. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and he says that frequently. Acts 26, 16, and 18, that's what Jesus said to him. Galatians 1, he says it. Ephesians 3, he says it. 1 to 6, he will say it again here in the book of Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 14. At the exact same time of our Lord making Paul the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul never lost his desire for the Jews to be saved. And so you'll often find Paul beginning in synagogues and often being run out of those synagogues and then talking to the Gentiles. One of those occasions is Acts chapter 13, and where he will say, Since you judge yourselves unworthy of salvation, lo, we turn... To the Gentiles. Even in this book, he wants his Jewish countrymen saved. Notice chapter 9. We'll get there eventually. We hope. <laughs> chapter 9. Notice what Paul says. I am telling you the truth. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifying with me in the Holy Spirit. What's the truth, Paul? That I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Well, why do you have great sorrow and unceasing grief in your heart? Verse number three, he says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Who do you want saved for? I want my Jewish Countrymen, My kinsmen, according to the flesh, I want them saved. But you're the apostle to the Gentiles. That's absolutely right. And he is going to be the apostle to the Gentiles, but he's never going to lose his desire to have his Jewish countrymen saved. And so he's going to do a lot to that end as well. Notice chapter 10, similar words. Brethren, my harsh desire and prayer, my prayer to God... King James will say, for Israel, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. His sorrow is that his Jewish countrymen are missing out on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were the ones to whom it went first And as he will say in this book, they had every advantage to get it. Paul called an apostle by Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. In fact, he says he was set apart for the gospel of God. That ministry, that office, that charge, very specific, it's for the gospel of God. Remember back in 1 Corinthians 9, the end of that chapter from about verse 19 to 27, he says, I, I, I do all things, I'm willing to become all things that by all means some might be saved. This is Paul's charge and life. He opens with that. He is set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I read through the New Testament. It's important to appreciate this is the message that they preached. It's what they preached first. Acts chapter 2 verses 22 to 24. Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again and God did that. You killed him. God raised him. That's Acts 2 22 to 24. If you just walk through the book of Acts you will see they preached that over and over and over again. Acts 3, 19, they preach that, 19 to 26. Acts 4, 8 to 12, they preach that. Acts 5, Acts 6, Acts 7, Acts 8, all the way through Acts 9, what was that was preached to Saul who became Paul? To him was preached the gospel. It's what they preached exclusively. They don't have another message. Paul is an apostle set apart For the gospel of god listen to what he says in first corinthians 2. first corinthians 2 and verse number 1 and when i came to you brethren i did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of god for i determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My message, my preaching was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. The reason for verse 2 is verse 5. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The gospel is all there is for us to preach. He's trying to move people to salvation. What will do that? The gospel. The gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Look at the verse again. Paul, an apostle, a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The first century Jew and Gentile were confronted with and having to decide about the gospel. And the apostles kept preaching it, and presenting them opportunities to make informed decisions. There isn't another message. There is nothing else coming. There is no one else. There is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul will move from there to talk about the gospel. And he immediately begins with, again, explanations. This gospel in verse number one that we're introduced to the one he has set apart for, the one he is called by Jesus to preach. He says in verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel is promised in the Old Testament. If we were to go to the book of Ephesians and start to read chapter 3, as we have, it will be called the mystery. And in chapter 3, Paul will say, in other ages it was not made known. It's now revealed unto the sons of men. He says that the mystery is the Jew and the Gentile being reconciled to God in one body, the end of verse 4 or 5, will say, by the gospel. What is the message for the whole world? What's God doing? We're talking about justification. How is God going to do it? God is at work, Ephesians 3, 9 through 11 will say, this was in the mind of God in eternity. And you and I are talking about the Bible. We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the mystery. We're talking about one thing. And what we're talking about is what God had in mind before there was a man. We we cannot start to understand this from earth upward. That's not really the way it works at all. And a lot of times, the reason people have challenges with the Bible is they want their lives fixed right now. I'm into something, and I need help. It's 640, 746, and I need an answer by 8. I'll open up the Bible, uh, read a couple of passages, and I'll pray, and I, I hope to have an answer by 815. We can get this done. And if that's not what the Bible is for, I don't have any use for the Bible. a terrible use of the Bible. You're, you're going to miss it. God has a plan in mind before he has a man on the planet. God has a plan in mind before there is a planet. God has a, ma- a plan before there's a creation. Before there's an end the beginning, the gospel's in the mind of God. And that gospel then is only going to be revealed to us over time is what we're reading in the Old Testament. It's coming forward. Paul says, He promised it beforehand it's a promise where would we find such a promise where would we find such a reference sometimes people have have come to joke a little bit about me because they say we want to study the Bible guess where we start any guesses what you say about it (laughs) why would we do that you know what Paul just did in Romans 1 in verse number two where did he start well, make fun of Paul then. You know what Paul just said? He promised it in the Holy Scriptures. Anybody? Where's the first promise then? You got the book. I heard a lot of. Sh- 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 sounded like Genesis to me. <laughs> Where's the chapter we find the promise? In the Holy Scriptures. Okay, okay, I got a couple of things I'm hearing. Uh, Most people I know would say, well, there's a reference in Genesis 3.15 to the seed. And they would say, well, right there, it's the beginning. I won't argue that. Okay, that's fine. Not exactly the promise yet. But let's start there because I think that's right. Let's go with Genesis 3.15. But this passage says he promised it. Where did he promise it? That would take us to Genesis 12. Now, what happens in those first 11 chapters is what gets us to that point. And I think we've talked about it in the past, but let's do it very quickly. Chapters 1 to 5 deal with Adam primarily, and if you wanted to pick apart the individual pieces that begin to kind of move you forward, that's fine. You, 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 you have the creation. You, you have the sin of chapter 3. You have the sacrifice of chapter 4, a genealogy in 5. And then you have Noah. From 6 to 11, you have the flood. In 11, you'll have a genealogy, and that genealogy will connect you from Seth down to uh, Abram well, Terah, then Abram. And Luke will say in Acts 7, or Stephen preaching, Luke recording that that God called Abraham before he was in Haran. And so, Abraham didn't immediately go. He went to Haran, and he took his father. He didn't leave his his father, and he didn't. He took him with him. And, And then when he dies, chapter 12 is where God makes Abraham three promises, one of which is In your seed will all the families of the earth be blessed. Hold your finger here. Let's turn to the book of Galatians. Notice what we read. In Galatians chapter 3. First, let's read verse number 8. The Bible says, The Scripture foreseeing... That God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. How did he do that? The next phrase says, saying, all the nations will be blessed in your seed. Slide down to verse 16. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, referring to many, but to one and to your seed, which is Christ. Christ is in the gospel. The gospel was promised beforehand. I don't know where I read the outline, but there's a bunch of P's for alliteration, and that he, it was promised, and then prophesied, and then uh, prepared, and then perfected. And this, this is a nice outline, kind of walk you through the whole Bible but it talks about the purposes of God, Ephesians 3, 9 through 11, and then the promises to Abraham, Genesis 12, and then all of the prophecies coming forward, and then you get to John the Baptist, and he prepares the way, and then you get to Jesus, and he perfects God's plans. Good walk all the way through the Bible, because that's what's being spoken of. What the the Old Testament will do is over time put more and more bring more and more light to the picture and its development kind of like a polaroid in the old days anybody i was told recently you didn't have to shake them but we all did so i don't know if there was something to that or not but more germane is that it would slowly come into view and that's kind of what you're reading in the old testament It slowly comes into view more and more and more. And as you move forward, you move from a seed and you get more and more detail. You get uh, the scepter not departing the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, 10. And you get Moses saying, a prophet like unto me. You get David being promised of your seed. And it just gets more and more detailed as you go forth. You get the birthplace, uh, you you get the gender, you get uh, the the time of the Romans ruling, you you just get more and more, and by the time John comes, well, even before that, in Matthew 2, Herod can ask, where is he that's born king of the Jews? And they can go get the prophets, and they can read the prophets and the expectation, well, he'll be born here. And... They know, this is what Paul is saying, God has had the gospel plan in mind. This would be, again, meaningful to a Jew. I'm probably going to have to ask you to keep going backwards and forwards. So on the one hand, stand in the first century with Paul writing this and speaking this. He's been preaching it all over, and Jews hearing it. And then run back and hear Paul saying, it's in your Old Testament. What I'm preaching is in the Holy Scriptures. What would they be forced to do? Well, go check. You, you go back there, read the Holy Scriptures, and see if what I'm preaching to you isn't, which is what they would have done. They wouldn't have had anything else. They would have had the Holy Scriptures, and they would have had the apostles preaching. And in Acts 17, 11, why do we laud the Bereans? Because when they heard Paul preached... They received the word with all readiness of mind, and they did what? What scriptures did they search? They searched the holy scriptures to what end? To see if those things were so. Well, who do you suppose Paul is preaching? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul sets forth his defense by beginning with, listen, I'm qualified to do this. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle, the gospel of God, and I'm writing about what he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What do those Holy Scriptures concern? Look at the next verse. If you go back and read the Holy Scriptures, what would you find? You'd find the gospel. Where would you find them? In the Holy Scriptures. What would you find there? Verse number 3 says concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh we just read Galatians 3.8 we just read Galatians 3.16 we didn't read Galatians 27 to 29 but 29 ends by saying if you are Christ then you're Abraham's seed And heirs according to the promise. What is it that would make you an heir of Abraham? Christ would need to do that. You would need Jesus in order to be of the seed of Abraham. Look in John chapter 5 and listen to our Lord again talking to the Jews. While the Jews are in the very act in the conversation of rejecting him as being. The Messiah as being the Christ. They're in the very act of rejecting that. And in verse 33, Jesus says, you have sent to John, and he testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Go back a chapter to chapter 3. Listen to what Nicodemus said. Speaking of the works, now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. How do you know that? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus says in chapter 5, the works testify. Nobody else can do what I do. Nobody else has ever done what I've done. And you know it. Nicodemus at the very least says, we know it's true. Jesus says, the testimony which I have, the the works which the Father has given me, the works that they testify about me. Notice 37, and the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who he sent. Verse number 39, you search the Scriptures. What Scriptures? The Holy Scriptures. only Scriptures they had. You search them. Well, that's what they should have done. But if you search the Scriptures, who should you find? You should find Jesus because Jesus says you search the scriptures because you think that in them, in the possession of them, that you have them, you think that gives you eternal life, but it is these that testify about me. Paul opens this this great book by establishing not simply his credentials, but establishing the gospel that he preaches. The very thing being argued is all the Old Testament is about. The Jews would be arguing, we have Moses. The Jews would be arguing, we're going to hold on to the law. They would argue, we don't need Jesus. And Paul is saying, listen, that's who the Scriptures are all about. He promised this beforehand in the Holy Scriptures through the prophets. It's concerning his son, who... They would have needed these two things, born a a descendant of David according to the flesh. That would have been absolutely critical to the Jews, and he is that. He is the promised prophesied Messiah. He bears the marks of royalty. You remember 2 Samuel 7, one of those prophecies? Yes, no, maybe so. Those are options in case you wanted to pick one of them. 2 Samuel 7, you remember when David said he was going to build God a house and God said, you will not build me a house? What did God say? I'll build you a house. 2 Samuel 7, verse number 12, when your days are complete, when you're dead, and you lie with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come from forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You could see Solomon maybe in the the immediacy of that, but that's ultimately a reference to Jesus Christ. He is the seed of David. He is the one that's going to build God's house. That's what the Holy Scriptures concern. That's who they concern. Look at Luke 24. Luke 24 is the event where Jesus has been resurrected, and he's on the road, I believe, to Emmaus, and two apostles or two disciples rather have uh, been walking and talking. The Lord joins himself to them, and he was hidden from them, so they didn't know it was him for a while, and then he began to explain to them the Scripture. Uh, verse number 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said one to another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? I think we should all just imbibe that for just a moment. Can you imagine it? You're walking on the road. The stranger appears. He asks you about the events in Jerusalem, and you say to him, "Are you, have you been living under a rock? How do you not know? And then you realize at some point it's him, and he has been your teacher, and he was explaining the scriptures to you about him. On the other side of the resurrection, he has come, he has died, he has resurrected, and now he's talking to you, looking backward and explaining to you the scriptures. When they recognize him, they say to one another, Didn't our hearts burn within us when he made known to us the scriptures? Later, down in verse 44, he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things and behold I'm sending forth the promise of my father upon you but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high that's what leads you into Acts chapters 1 and Acts chapter 2 they spent 40 days talking to him about this we made it to verse number 3 Hope you're excited as I am about that. We're going to get to verse number five, six, seven, and eventually through the chapter. Any questions or comments you have about anything we discussed tonight? I think Paul is laying the groundwork for the building of the house and the scaffolding that will come.